Morning again, church. Morning. If you're, uh, if you're a guest with us, my name is Kelly. I serve as senior pastor. Hope you feel quickly at home. We're in the book of Deuteronomy and have been for several months. Turn with me there in your copy of the scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Fifth book in the Bible, fairly easy to find. Just the fifth book in the Bible. We'll begin today in verse 9 of chapter 18 of Deuteronomy. If you're a guest, we'd love to give you a gift. It's a book that I've written titled Following Jesus. It outlines kind of our aim as a church, our philosophy of ministry. How do we follow after Jesus and help each other follow after Jesus? And some of my own stories in the book as well. Love to have you pick up a copy of that. You can do that in the Welcome Center at the Welcome Booth, just through the foyer, out into the Welcome Center, and the books are there. If you had questions about who we are as a community of faith, uh, the person there at the welcome booth would do their best to answer those questions. As I begin to preach this morning, let me encourage you to text any questions you might have about the sermon specifically or faith generally to the number on the screen. You can text your questions in and then go to wherever you listen to podcasts, type in Glen Ellen Bible Church, and our podcast, the Next Level Podcast, will pop right up and you can listen in to the answers that we work hard to offer each week. I expect we'll have some interesting questions this week. Questions like, is necromancy really possible? I'm baiting you, can you tell? Is, is fortune telling, can they actually predict the future? Might a seance really access another world? As our scripture today in Deuteronomy 18 is unique, I have never preached before on occult practices. This is one of the blessings, the benefits of making your way through a book, right? You, it's hard to skip over. You, you get to go with uh, the diet of the Lord, so to speak. You feed on, on what are his priorities as you make your way through. When I was young, maybe seven or eight years old, I was visiting my grandparents and I was playing outside, which, you know, seven or eight years old, that's what you should be doing. My brother and my sister and I were often at my grandparents' house, and we would have visits there and stay overnight and whatnot. I was playing outside, and he must have seen me run by the garage doors. He was in the garage, and he called out my name. Hey, Kelly, come in here. I want to show you something. And so I went into the garage, and while I, when I went in, I entered to see him holding two rods. Now, his arms were tucked in at his sides, and he was holding these two rods. I'd seen the rods before. I never thought much of them, but he's holding these two rods, arm tucked in at the sides, and they're metal rods. They looked reddish in color. Later, I learned that they were copper in color, uh, copper made up of copper, and he was watching them cross in front of him. And he said to me as I entered, just stay still. It's important to let the rods do their work. And so I stood still, and I just hung out there for a minute. He said, do you know what these are? And he had an air of excitement in the question. I had no idea what they were. I'd seen him again. I'd seen him before use them uh, or mess with them. I hadn't bothered as a seven-year-old asking what they're about. He would sit often in the living room, as I would say, putzing with them. And interestingly, my grandmother always seemed bothered by them. She, in grandmother fashion, would say something like, well, put those darn things away. These find oil, my granddad said to me with an air of intrigue. Oil, I responded. 
having no real understanding of the value of oil or even what might be involved in finding oil, whether copper rods or otherwise. I did know that oil was uniquely important to Texans, though. Then he said, here, you hold them. And he, he held them out for me, and I took them into my hands. As I held them, he gave me instructions about how they worked, something about sensing the energy that was being transferred or some other such. The lesson was interrupted when a car honked out in the driveway, and Granddaddy took the rods and went out to the car, got in the car, and drove away. Later that day, sitting at the lunch table with my granny, I said, where was Granddaddy going? She said, well, he's off to some oil field somewhere. Again, she was clearly not excited about his little adventure. And I never had another lesson in the rods again. My grandfather what was, was what was often referred to as a water witch, sometimes called a dowser or diviner, which is an ancient practice of trying to find hidden things with various types of sticks. Just for my interest, who has ever heard of this practice? Okay. It has its roots in the occult, and most diviners attribute their success to what they might describe as a sixth sense. And in case you think my grandfather was unique or weird in his interest, the practice is growing in popularity once again because of the recent drought out west. On the screen's a news report that I clipped from an online news source just this week about the rising interest of divining, which is going on out west in California because of the drought. Now, admittedly, there are some who want to argue that sci they want to argue the scientific merits of water witching. While few would deny the occult history of the practice, they want to tie the modern efforts to some pseudo-scientific understanding of metallurgic properties having natural attractions to one another. I'm not interested in entering that debate. I offer this little bit of my family history to point out how easy it is to get drawn in by the hope of gaining hidden knowledge. My grandfather wanted to find a hidden reservoir of oil for obvious reasons, right? Divining or water witching was a hobby for him, but people are charging real money to find water in what is developing as a dust bowl in California. Many are less concerned about the source of the knowledge, less concerned about the source of the hidden knowledge, rather they're primarily interested in its accuracy. After all, if it works, why should we be concerned about how it works or why it works, they would argue. I've had people say the same about Ouija boards seances, fortune-telling, palm-reading, horoscopes. If the information gained is accurate, how could it be bad? To whom or to what do we turn for direction in life? We all need direction on various topics and issues at times. We all face questions about who to marry, perhaps, what house to buy, where to go to college, whether or not to take a job, whether or not to make a move. We feel stress around those decisions and the circumstances surrounding those. We all long for 
revealed knowledge, what feels hidden to us. We want wisdom. We want discernment. That desire can fuel our being drawn into activities that are clearly condemned in Scripture. If you're joining us for the first time, we're making our way through the book of Deuteronomy slowly. Deuteronomy is the count of God preparing Israel to enter the promised land. In today's passage, as the Israelites hear Moses' teaching, they're, as it were, standing at the border ready to go in. They're standing at the Jordan River ready to cross over and take possession of the land. Up to this point, they had wandered in the wilderness for the last 40 years. But as they enter the promised land, they're going to become, they're going to move from being wanderers, migrants, to settlers, city builders. And in so much, they'll need to establish a society. They'll need to set up cities. There need to be order and organization to the cities. And Moses, in this morning's chapters, lays out a leadership, a governance structure for society. Here's the broad overview of the, the chapters coming up. Deuteronomy 16 through 17, you'll see there, Moses identifies you'll need judges who will adjudicate criminal and civil conflicts. And then in Deuteronomy 17, he says you'll need kings to govern, to administer order in your cities and in your nation. You'll need priests to minister before the Lord. They'll atone for sin committed. And then you'll need prophets to give directions on living as God's people. As a social studies teacher in a former life, I find this little list fascinating. It seems by God's design that there's a balance of power here, shared influence. There are some fascinating instructions scattered throughout these chapters I'd encourage you to read later. To the judges, he warns against taking bribes for obvious reasons. To the kings, interestingly, he warns against amassing wealth. That would be a blessing wouldn't it, for leadership? But what I find most interesting is the prohibition against occult practices that's kind of inserted in the middle of this, here's how you're going to order society, don't do these things. Israel's prophets in particular were to give direction to the people on living a godly life. Moses himself, in fact, was a prophet of God. God gave the law to Israel through Moses' instruction. He helped Israel understand how to live a godly life through the law that Moses brought down off Sinai. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, Moses tells the people, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. So you can expect other prophets. They'll come from among you, from your fellow Israelites. Listen to them. You must listen to them. They're going to give you direction on how to live godly life. So Israel can expect other prophets to follow in Moses' shoes. They're to listen to those prophets. They'll gain understanding about how to live God-honoring as they do. Describing the ministry of the prophets a little more, God says through Moses, I'll put my words in his mouth. So he's going to speak on behalf of God. He'll tell them everything I command him. So God is actually speaking here. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So judges adjudicate, kings govern, 
Priests minister before the Lord, atoning for sin. And prophets bring clarity on how to live a godly life. Later in the New Testament, we read the Apostle Peter's affirmation of the prophetic role in Israel's past. Peter says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. No, they're speaking for God. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. It's not something they conjured up. They were moved by God, but prophets, through, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Pretty straightforward, right? Prophet spoke for God to the people, giving instructions on godliness as they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there's this pause in these chapters on how to set up a society where Moses addresses, just before he addresses the specific responsibility of the prophets, they're going to give you direction on the will and the ways of God, where he addresses occult practices. Wonder why God would lead Moses to insert a warning against occult practices right before detailing the responsibility of prophets. Here's the prohibition. It's, I'm going to begin in verse 9. It's fairly short. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. They're doing things this way. Don't imitate them. Well, what way is that? Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens. If you're an underliner, just underline interprets omens. I want to come back to that. Engages in witchcraft, casts spells, or who is a medium or a spiritist, or who consults the dead. Necromancy is the, the word. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. They're actually losing their land because of these things. These practices contribute to their getting evicted and Israel taking over. You must be blameless before the Lord your God in this respect. What about these practices is detestable? Why would God so detest these practices that he brings judgment upon the nations that are in the land currently and says you forfeited the land because of your behavior, because of these practices? There's an interesting grammatical link in this passage that gives us a window into why these activities are detestable to the Lord. The phrase interprets omens, if you underlined it, it's found in verse 10, is the English translation of a Hebrew word that serves as a root word for the word serpent. Here are two wor the two words together. You can see how they're grammatically linked. The transliterated Hebrew is in the middle of the screen. So in Deuteronomy 18.10, he says, don't interpret omens, no witchcraft, no casting spells, no, no uh, seances, uh, trying to contact the dead. When he says interprets omens, it's grammatically linked, I, interestingly, to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And if you, if you know the Bible, you know that uh, creation chapter 1 
the Garden of Eden, chapter 2, man and woman placed in the garden. Chapter 3, the serpent comes and tempts Eve. Recognizing this grammatical link provides some understanding about why God sees these practices as detestable. Broadly speaking, serpents in the ancient world were seen as connected to the occult and to the knowledge people wanted to gain from occult practices. And for that reason, it seems no coincidence that the Hebrew word for serpent possesses a shared etymology in Hebrew with occult practices such as interpreting omens. Do you remember what the serpent promised Eve in the garden? Tempting to Eve to eat fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the serpent promised hidden knowledge, which the serpent implied God was keeping from her, not wanting her to share in deity. For God knows that when you eat from it, the serpent speaking to Eve, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. The implication is he's, he's withholding good things from you. And I won't ask how many of us have ever felt that God's holding blessing, withholding blessings from us. Thanklessness is, is, a, um, is a root of sin often. You'll be like God knowing good and evil, the promise of hidden knowledge. All of the practices listed in our passage this morning were intended to acquire hidden knowledge in order to manipulate whether it's natural forces to gain control in the world or spiritual forces, occult practices are aimed at gaining greater control through revelation, through hidden knowledge. Sacrificing children, right? There are few sacrifices to be made, right? Greater than offering your children, say, to the god Molech, which was a part of Israelite history, to try to motivate pagan deities to do your bidding, to do what you want. Divination, sorcery, witchcraft, spells, mediums, spiritists, all aimed at gaining hidden knowledge. These practices were substitutes for communicating with Yahweh, the God of Israel, in the way that God had graciously invited Israel to communicate with him in the way that God had graciously ordered society. Here's how you're to go about it. Each of these practices are, were, attempts to order society in an alternative manner. Here's, about, here's how we'll go about gaining control, manipulating outcomes, rather than submitting to the order that God had ordained, judges, kings, priests, prophets. Thus, participating in these types of activities represents an antithesis to faith. And whatever is not of faith is of sin. Even or disobedience say, I'll, I'll take the hidden knowledge. Frankly, these activities are detestable because they're fueled by these same desires, these desires for that Eve had, they're fueled by a desire for control, power, independence, control, power, independence, rather than faith and dependence upon our Creator as His creatures. If you're familiar with how 
the story of Israel unfolds, then you know that this is the exact situation Israel's King Saul faced when he visited the witch of Endor and asked her to bring up from the dead the prophet Samuel. The story is intriguing at numerous levels. It's found in the book of 1 Samuel, it's chapter 28. There Saul says to, to Samuel, once Samuel's brought up from the dead, he's brought up by this, this witch who conjures him through some sort of seance. Saul's words are on the screen. As Samuel says, why have you called me up? He says, I'm in great distress. I'm stressed. <laughs> The Philistines are fighting against me. God has departed from me. He no longer answers me. He won't, in other words, give me direction, tell me what to do next, either by prophets or by dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what to do. I've called on you to reveal the hidden, what's next? What should I be about? Ever feel in great distress? Ever feel unsure about what you should do next? Perhaps you felt as though your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling so that accessing God's wisdom is beyond you. These feelings have caused many to turn to activities that are contrary to faith. And thus they're detestable to the Lord. Fast forward to the New Testament. When the Apostle Paul's ministering in the city of Philippi, there Paul commanded a demonic spirit to come out of a slave woman who had made her owners a lot of money by fortune-telling. It's Acts chapter 16. A very, again, a very intriguing story at many levels. Read Acts 16 a little later today. When the owners of the slave woman realized that the demonic spirit had left her and that they'd no longer be able to make money at her ability to tell the future, that they're... A, her ability to, to reveal hidden knowledge was gone, they had Paul and Silas thrown into prison. Interestingly, the activity of predicting the future, which this spirit enabled, stems from a Greek word. Here's the transliteration of the Greek word, python. Again, the serpent. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, so the ancient Greek-speaking world used the word python to describe the activity involved in predicting the future. The power of predicting the future came from what is described in the ancient world as a serpent spirit. In other words, this slave girl tells the future by the same spirit associated with whatever was going on in the Garden of Eden. And whatever was detestable in the Canaanite nations that are getting kicked out. There's this overlap throughout Scripture. This is not of the Lord. What are we to make of all this? Well, first, stay away from occult practices, right? You may open yourself, knowingly or unknowingly, to demonic influence. It's pretty straightforward. Second, let's celebrate. Firstly, stay away from occult practice. Secondly, let's be the people that celebrates that God has, in fact, made himself known, and he wants to be known. He wants us to know his will and ways. He set up, it was his idea, to give judges and kings and priests and prophets to Israel 
so that they could function, so that they could adjudicate civil and criminal issues and govern and order society through kings and administer the atonement of sin by priests. And so prophets could bring clarity on difficult situations. And as we sang, call us back to a resurrendering experience. It's the role of prophets. This was God's idea. So God wants us to know his will and ways. It's good news. In fact, as we consider the roles that God identified within ancient Israel, don't miss that our Savior filled every one of them. Jesus is the judge of all humanity, entrusted with authority by God the Father. Jesus is the King of Kings, sitting on David's throne eternally. Jesus is the priest, the high priest of God, atoning for our sin through his sacrificial death. Jesus is the prophet of God, and the final one, I should say, calling us to live lives of obedience. Could it be, tongue firmly planted in cheek, could it be that God, in organizing Israel, wants to give us a picture of who his son will be and become as he, as he comes to earth to minister to us? Yes, absolutely. The order of society in Deuteronomy is, it looks forward to who Christ is for us. This means that even though we don't live as a part of ancient Israel, we can know the will and the way of God through faith in Jesus. In fact, we know that Jesus himself said that the ancient Jewish law and the prophets look forward to him on the road to Emmaus. He, he explains to them after his resurrection how the law and the prophets spoke of the Savior. Knowing Jesus is key to knowing his will and his ways. Knowing the word, the law, the prophets, the testimony of the, of the Old Testament, the testimony of the New Testament helps us reorder our minds so that we can know him. Paul writes as much in Romans chapter 2. Don't conform to the pattern, Romans 12, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. There are dozens of questions this morning in a room this size of what should I do? Well, in order to know what should I do, the, the will and the way of God, we need to let the ministry of God through his word care for us and transform our minds. Note, he wants us to know his will. This isn't much different. Romans 12, 2 isn't much different than when Moses says, when you go into the land... Don't learn to imitate the detestable practices of the nations there. No, the same is true for us. Don't learn to imitate the detestable practices of 21st century America. No, renew your mind. Speaking with my mother this week about her father, right? My granddaddy, who got caught up in divining. She gave me a little bit of background on that. She, she said that it was her understanding that her father got into that when he was at his lowest as a businessman. He'd had some failed businesses, wasn't sure how he was going to make ends meet, felt some insignificance as a man, and saw this as an opportunity to make a little money, 
maybe strike it rich in the oil field. Texas economies are a boom-bust economy. Whole cities are built around the discovery of a single oil well in Texas. So when he's at his lowest, when we're at our lowest, when we don't have clarity, don't adopt the detestable practices of 21st century America. Let your mind be renewed. Well, renewed with what? Well, Paul says to, in 2 Timothy, he says, all scriptures God breathed. All of it. It's given to us. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped. We need equipping. We need to know which way to go. What's God up to? What's he calling us to? What do I do when I'm low? We can also know God through prayer. Christ, our high priest, has made a way for us to come before the throne of God boldly. We come before the throne of God in his name. We don't come in our own names. And there we find the comfort of God, the direction of God through prayer. Jesus himself said, ask, it'll be given. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. And he goes on to describe a loving father, a gracious father, who wants to reveal to us. Daniel, Old Testament book, says he's the revealer of mysteries. That's our father. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? No, we don't do that. Or if you ask for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Eager. He's eager to answer our prayer. And it's not just us who prays. I find this encouraging. Do you know the Spirit's already praying for you? If you're trusting in Christ as Savior, then the Spirit of God is praying, Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Do you feel weak? We don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. You have an advocate. You have someone already praying for you. It's the Spirit of Christ. It's the Spirit of God. And he who searches our hearts, that is the Spirit, knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We have an advocate. Finally, I want to say, so we know, we know the, the will and the ways of God as our minds are renewed with his word, as we seek him in prayer, as we take great comfort in the fact the Holy Spirit's praying for us, directing our prayers, and finally I'd say through fellowship. And here it's, it's of supreme importance that we be connected to a local church. He has given us to one another. Church was not our idea. Church was God's idea. And sprinkled throughout the New Testament, the writers talk about various gifts given to the church, gifts distributed to God's people for one another, for our blessing, each other, to minister, to care for each other. So we know the will and the ways of God. What should we do when we're down and, or we've reached our end? We, we don't know which way to go. Rather than embracing the detestable practices of 20, 21st century America, no, we embrace the people of God. We ask them to care for us and help bear our burdens and we share what we're going through with them and we let the gifts of God that are distributed among his people bless us. And we let our gifts bless one another. Paul talks about words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discernment given 
spread about liberally in the church. We can know. More importantly, God, our Father, wants to be known by us. It was His idea to send His Son to make Himself known to us. This morning, we'll close here in a moment in um, inviting people forward for prayer. Grant and Aaron will be down front. If, if you want prayer, come forward. We all have lots of needs, don't we, for God's direction in our lives. Prayer is one of the ways that we dis discern clarity on what we should, how we should be living. So I'd invite you to come forward for prayer. Let me pray for us now. Father, you're good to us. We thank you for King Jesus. Jesus, who also is our judge and merciful, thank goodness, our priest, ministering atonement, and our prophet, bring us clarity. We ask for your care of us through your spirit who's already praying for the people of Glome Bible Church and your people globally. In Jesus' name, amen.